All right, if you're anything like me, you hate running out of food on a trip. It's like a big fear, and so I'm I'm a big fan of snacks during an adventure, and one of my absolute favorite go-to snacks are wonderful pistachios. You may be familiar with pistachios and the brand Wonderful Pistachios, but if you're not, they are one of the highest protein nuts out there. One ounce serving of Wonderful Pistachios is six grams of protein. That's 10% of your daily value. It also includes nine essential amino acids, and they come with a ton of different flavors, varieties. There's a spicy version, there's lightly salted, there's no salted, there's so many. And every time I go on an adventure, I not even lying, I take an entire bag with me. And what's cool too, I love having the wonderful pistachio in shell because then that almost gives me something to do and focus on as I'm paddling or biking through the really monotonous parts of the adventure. Every great adventure is going to have plenty of boring moments and it's nice to have something to do and also something that is giving you some fuel like wonderful pistachios. So they're one of my favorite adventure snacks, favorite road trip snacks, and definitely leave me feeling better than a lot of other snacks you can turn to. So if you want to learn more about how to fuel your next adventure with wonderful pistachios, go to wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. Rodeo season is going to be kicking off soon, and you know, I I like the rodeo. I like going to the rodeo. I like going to cattle auctions and all sorts of those activities, and I want to look the part while I'm there. I love Tecovis as my go-to boots company, and if you've ever been in one of their stores, it's an amazing experience. Their motto is, don't go gently. They are my favorite cowboy boot, and they bring a fresh perspective to heritage boot making, and they carry forward all those time-honored traditions and quality you will find in a great pair of cowboy boots, but they're innovative on comfort, style, and service. They have Western boots for men and women and are handmade from the most premium leather and follow over 200 time-honored individual steps in their boot-making process. Pretty cool. They're Austin-designed, Texas-tested, and handmade. And if you want to go to one of their stores, it is an amazing experience. They take customer service to a whole new level. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. And as a special opportunity just for you listeners, Tecovis is going to throw in their best-selling trucker hats or a ball cap for free into any purchase over $100 at tecovis.com. Just use the code ADVENTURE at checkout. Again, that's Tecovis, T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com, and use the code ADVENTURE at checkout to add a free hat to your order over $100. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The NerdWallet Smart Money Podcast has helped me plan for my tax bill so I don't dread April every year, balancing my budget for this show, and helping me financially plan for my next adventure. You can listen to NerdWallet Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Uh, you might be wondering what this episode is going to be about, but uh, you know it's going to be a little different. I'm not going to be talking to a guest. It's going to be a monologue, and it feels very weird because I'm looking at a screen talking. I'm not super used to this, but the last time I did it with the Lake Okeechobee paddle, it did really well. That was actually our most downloaded episode ever uh, in, in the sense of shortest amount of time uh, for you know, getting to that many downloads. And um, a download, by the way, is the same as a, a view or just basically a listener in the podcast industry. That's kind of our metric of measurement. Anyway, uh, this episode is going to be a little different because I want to reflect on something that this show has helped change about me. If you know, don't know, I took this show over from uh, Kurt Linville and Travis Parsons about five years ago. And the reason was the effect the show had had on them as hosts had, had basically changed their lives. Talking to these amazing people all the time like we get to, it's an enormous privilege and amazing 
uh, opportunity. Like I, I don't take it for granted. I probably do, honestly. But I, I, when I really sit down and reflect, it's incredibly moving. And it had had that effect on them to the point that they wanted to go do something more adventurous with their life. And, you know, I was thinking about how has the show affected me over the five years? Has it led me to the point where, you know, I can no longer host this? And, and no, I, I still am in the position to, to host this show on a weekly basis, um, but it has tremendously affected me. And I'm going to bring up a specific example for this uh, episode where I'm just going to talk about how I get adventures in, because as the host, I'll just say it, like, you know, oftentimes the people talking about something are very often the people not doing the thing they're talking about all the time. It's the, in fact, the people that don't share it all the time are the ones that doing it. Uh, w- one of my, one of the authors that I like is a uh, Ryan holiday talk about stoicism. And he has joked, I've heard him say it in a number of interviews that like, he goes, I write about stoicism. He's like, I study it. I am a huge fan. I'm like, I built a career on talking about stoicism. He goes, but my wife actually practices stoicism. She's actually the stoic one. She's the one that actually does it and never says anything about it. She's the one actively doing it. But he goes, so I learned from her more than anything. And I'm just really good at talking about it. And and it's a practice for him too, but his wife, it just seems to come more natural. And honestly, that's how hosting a podcast about adventure is. You know, I talk to a lot of people who do adventures. I am not necessarily all that adventurous. Have I done a few big trips? Yes. Uh, But am I in a position in life where I'm doing, you know, biking around the world or doing, you know, sailing across oceans or rowing or anything like that or backpacking or climbing or anything not not necessarily um so however i feel as adventurous as i've ever been uh in this time of life i'm in and i'm going to tell you how i'm doing it and it has been very much re- uh, uh, an inspiration from this show and hearing examples and specifically a uh, huge shout out to fraser bunton fraser was a guest on the show uh back in gosh i've said this so many times that uh, back in t- 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 2021, episode 717, the title is How to Pull Off an Epic Yearly Adventure with Your Friends. And he basically has this formula that he, that he follows, and I'll go through a little I want you to listen to the episode, and I'll link it in the show notes here. But he goes through this formula where he has you know, 12, 15 of his friends. They all are spread out across the U.S., and international even, how do you, and they're all in like the stages of life that are totally busy. Kids that are graduating from high school, getting married. Uh, they, they started this experience back in when they're in their mid twenties before a lot of folks maybe had these responsibilities in place, but some of them did. Um, and they do a yearly trip without fail. And they've been doing it for almost 20 years now. They're coming up on their 20th anniversary. And these are not like, Hey, getting together and camping, which, by the way, is one of my favorite things to do. It, they're serious adventures. They're like whitewater rafting for five days or climbing a bunch of 14ers or sailing across the Caribbean um, or renting motorcycles and like going all through the mountain passes of Colorado. I mean, they're doing some pretty wild stuff. And they do it all because they have this extremely regimented framework for it. Like they send an email out six months to the day before the experience and you have like 48 hours to respond. I don't have the details exactly right, but you have to respond within that window or you're out. And then you're in the back of the line for other people that are wanting to get into the quote big trip club. And so there's like this incentive to stay doing it. And and Fraser often says, like it takes a dictatorship. You have to have somebody who's in charge completely, makes the calls and and forces people to build their lives in in or, or make room in their lives for this experience. That's the only way you can get a friend group of a dozen people who are in the busiest time of their lives spread out by thousands of miles. That's the only way to actually make it happen. Well, I was really influenced by that episode because I'm like, wow, okay, I I need to do that in my life if I want to get together with my friends because all of us have said this. I say this. 
you, you talk to somebody, you connect, you have similar interests, and you say, oh, man, at some point, you know, we should go for a bike ride together. We should go for a run. Or we should go do something together. And, you know, someone, the other one says, yeah, that'd be sick. That'd be awesome. Let's, you know, keep me posted. Let's, let's plan something. Y'all both know you ain't planning nothing. Like y'all ain't doing nothing because you didn't put it on the books. You didn't, you know, it's almost like a formality more than it is a, a an actual commitment to do something. And I, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do that with my friends. And, I, and here's where I'm going to tell you what my formula is. I am not following Fraser's formula exactly. But the formula that me and my friends have come up with works extremely well for us right now, and it has led to the most rewarding experiences of my life, it, it definitely in the last handful of years. Uh, you know, some of my really long adventures I will cherish till the day I die, but these most recent kind of round of adventures have been almost more balanced adventures, if you will. Like they're not extreme in any one direction, but they're incredibly balanced adventures that have all the beautiful elements of what I love of adventure. And and it's all equal parts. And it's very, it's very beautiful. And I'm going to get into what that formula is and what those adventure are in just a second, but I want to get into the backstory a little bit. So once I interviewed Fraser, I had been living in Florida and uh, or had moved back to Florida from Colorado. And just by happenstance, my two best friends also moved back to Florida. We all knew each other in college, college friends. One was living in Seattle. One was living in Salt Lake City. For all different reasons, we had to go back home to Florida. And we all had families and were very young families that just started having kids and whatnot. And within a two-week window, we found us, or the three of us, back in the same place we started, which was very exciting. This had never been the case. Every time, these are my friends that I did adventures with. So anytime we did something, it took flying somewhere. It took a big road trip. It, it, you know, we didn't get to see each other that much. So the fact that we were all together in the same place, well, one, we didn't know if this was going to last forever. And two, we wanted to take full advantage of it. And three... We all came from pretty dang adventurous places with lots of beautiful mountains and cool scenery. And, you know, we were moving to a place that is not as known for that. And that was, you know, honestly, a little stressful, a little, little, a little worrisome for me personally. So we wanted to say, all right, let's make the most of this. And so what we committed to was every eight weeks, not necessarily on the dot, but every eight ish weeks, get together and spend 24 hours out in the woods or doing something. And that was our original goal, 24 solid hours. So like, what can we squeeze in, in a 24 hour window? Well, that first trip, you know, it was like a bike packing thing. And we did 24 hours bike packing, tried to knock out a bunch of miles. And, you know, we were, you know, it maybe wasn't exactly 24 hours. We left after work on Friday and got back home on midnight on Saturday, for instance, so closer to 30 hours. And then the next one was this, you know, wilderness triathlon we did. We we kayaked around this lake, big, beautiful, gorgeous, swampy lake, and then biked around the lake through the woods on these fire roads and in single track trails. And then we like made a big hike out to like a homestead cabin that was like a hundred years old and hiked back. And that was another one. Another one was uh you know, a a paddle trip at that point. And so we we did like four or five of these trips every eight to 10 weeks uh, for 24 hours. And the reason I want to do that is I loved Fraser's idea of doing a yearly experience. But what I didn't love was how infrequent a year was. I was like, no, because I'm not going to, I'm not going to take the time. I'm just too, I mean, maybe that's an excuse, but I'm too busy right now to like plan a whole week off, uh, take a whole week off work and go somewhere because the people I want to be with are right here. So why don't we do something one more frequent two, less time away from family, which was just more doable and three, really cheap, like really inexpensive. All you really need to pay for is gas and maybe a campsite that we can then split three ways. And that, that formula was working really well. Well, what really changed the game 
and really took these to a whole new experience because inevitably one of us couldn't go or something pops up. So for a lot of times it was like two of us would go or two of us would go and we'd invite a friend. So there'd be three total uh, or four total. But that was it. It was kind of like, you know, a smaller get together, a little bit harder adventure, a little more extreme and, and kind of breaking that 24 hour commitment we've given. But the goal really was only being one night away from our families so that we, you know, weren't putting so much on our spouses and could do other things on the weekend and whatnot. Well, then we started inviting people. And that first time we invited others, we went big. We we invited a bunch of people. And what we realized is that we went from doing adventures to really not quite guiding the adventure, but definitely walking people through more of it than we thought we would have to. And not only that, the adventure was really hard. So we were like doing lake crossings on kayaks and paddles. And what we realized is, you know, when you're paddling 15 people across a big lake, there's a lot of things that you can't account for when you're planning it two months out. One is wind and weather. And so if you've got the wind going the wrong way across a big lake, you, I mean, you you literally can't cross. It's just too strong. And that's always a possibility. Or if the weather just picks up or there's lightning or something, there's nowhere to go. So that first trip was absolutely chaotic with this big group. It was all guys because we all invited kind of our best friends and they all invited one other person and it kind of got out of hand. And there was like 18 people on this first trip and it was chaos. It was filthy. It was rugged. It was really uh, unconventional. We we came up, people saw us on these rivers and canals like because it went by residential areas. And I remember this one guy, we had to actually cross a dam in all 15. And again, this is after about a year of doing these trips before we ever invited anyone in a big way, like another, like a, like a bunch of people on one of these trips. And so we're, we're crossing, we're on this canal and we're going around this dam. So we had to all get our boats out, uh, carry them up this embankment across and then back down the other side. And it was happened to be the backyard of this guy. And uh, it looked like a cool backyard. He had like a dirt bike track back there and like a compost pile. Seemed like a pretty interesting dude and like some banana trees. And he come walking out in his rain boots out there because it was storming. And he's like, what are y'all doing? Like, what is going on here? And I didn't know, you know, he kind of, I was like, okay, is he mad? Or like, what's going on here? And he came up to us and he's like, what's going on? And I'm like, hey, we're just a bunch of friends. We're, we're paddling like 30 miles this weekend or 25 miles this weekend. Uh, from here to here, it's been really tough. The river's been blocked in places. We had to portage around a bunch of swampy areas and, and blocked river and now these dams. And we've got another, you know, five, eight miles to go to the, to the finish line. And he just looked around at us, this motley crew, and and saw, like, you know, no real leader or anything. We're all filthy as can be and drenched from the rain and clothes are ripped up from carrying everything through the swamp. And he goes can I come? <laughs> and so <laughs> what we started realizing is th- these trips were really attractive to people. Like people wanted infrastructure, wanted the, like the ability to go out there and experience this stuff. Uh, but it's really intimidating if you've never done it before. Like we've all, we're all new at something. And if we ever just like, I'm not about to walk into a skate park and just try to start skating. That's like totally foreign to me. Actually, I used to skate a little bit in, in like high school, but or middle school. Um, but anyway, that like I just wouldn't do that. I wouldn't know where to start. I wouldn't. I didn't have anybody to go with. You know, it's it's you, you need somebody, and so we started realizing like, man, people really have an appetite for this stuff. And our group started getting bigger and bigger. Um, but what we also realized is that whole group dynamic was just wonderful. People were opening up like even though you were in a group it was very easy to kind of paddle back and forth between little little groups who were having a conversation here and then you know maybe holding back and paddling with another group that's having a different conversation about this or paddling between them and having basically time alone in nature and it it was it was of such a great balance between all that that 
I really started falling in love with it. So ever since that first one, which was now, I guess, two years ago, we've done 10 editions of this trip or, or, or closer to a dozen because we try to do about five or six of these trips a year. And they are have quickly become the most beautiful thing in my life. It is, and here's the formula now. Every eight weeks, and we try to stick very strictly to eight weeks, we tell people, we're going to do some sort of paddle adventure in central Florida. And the reason we do paddle is we've tried bike, we've tried hiking, and paddling, the magic here really seems to be in the water because it introduces so much more than just land, uh, which is, would be the bike or hiking. The water here in Florida is really where our magic is and where like the beauty of the state comes alive because you get the interplay of the ecosystem and the wildlife of of not only marine life. We're, we're not really in the ocean much, uh, but, you know, aquatic life, but also uh, terrestrial life. And you get these amazing experiences with manatees and alligators and fish and dolphins uh, and freshwater stingrays and crabs and also the deer and the bears and the panthers and all that side. I mean, even monkeys. There's wild monkeys here too that are they're they're invasive, but uh, we've seen them. It's pretty incredible to be paddling through a spring-fed, crystal clear river that looks like an aquarium and having you know an entire group of monkeys swinging above your heads and alligators and manatees. I mean, it's a wild place and it's so cool to see all that and snakes galore and and, and insect. There's just so much. And anyway, we've found that the paddling is really what's very, uh, very easy for new folks to, uh, what am I trying to say here? Uh, it's very accessible. That's what I'm looking for. Accessible by new people because you can really flow with the river uh, even if you never paddled on our trips, like you just sat there in your canoe or your kayak, you'd get to the campsite eventually. Like y- y- it doesn't like biking. On the other hand, it's just it's hard work. If you if you're not in shape to bike, you're not you can't spend ten hours on the bike and paddle or or pedal fifty sixty miles through the woods. It's just it's that's really challenging unless you're in shape to do it. Um, but paddling, on the other hand. You can do that, uh, and if it's too tough, you can hop in a canoe that has two other paddlers, and uh, you can kind of take a break. So there's all these, and you can also carry a lot more gear and carry food and all that. So let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. The iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing. The interior is built with robust materials and integrity, and the capability is legendary. Whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. Durability has been tested to the extreme. Cargo capacity means you have room for all your gear. All this meaning to drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. And there's also powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system to keep you connected. And also the innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. And the entire Defender family is ready for a wide range of adventures. They have the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. So push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further. The Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell anything online at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million dollars in revenue stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're a podcaster trying to sell merch or selling autographed sports memorabilia, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. 
From their all-in-one commerce platform to their personal POS system, Shopify has got you covered. Now, I do use Shopify with my day job. That's our website, and that's our platform. It's so handy. It makes it easy for us on the back end. It makes it easy for you as a shopper and as a customer to sell more. And they can help you all the way from those early, early days until you're a real business, making real money. And that's what I love about them. No matter how big you want to grow, they can grow with you and help you take control your business to get it to that next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ASP, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash ASP to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash ASP. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. Let me go through our formula. And, 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 and again, the only reason I'm talking about this and bringing it up is so that you can kind of take this formula and do whatever you want to with it. Because what I've realized, without this formula in place, my friends and I would never get together and do these experiences. We'd always be saying, hey, does this weekend work? Does this weekend work? Does this weekend work? And it'll never work for everybody. And that's the first thing to understand. So what we do is we commit strictly, unless there's a major something in the way like Christmas, we do every eight weeks. And we're getting more and more strict about that. We weren't before, but now we're, we're pretty much sticking to that. It's like, hey, if you don't make this trip, you can basically plan on the next trip being exactly eight weeks out. And why we do that is that so folks can start planning, start planning their year out well in advance, even before we know where we're doing this trip. Um, I know that that weekend's going to be the Swamp Drifters. And by the way, we've been dubbed the Swamp Drifters, which is great because we spend a lot of time in the swamp, which is just magnificent. And uh, it's more drifting than it is like rucking or, you know, fastest known times or anything. We're, it's very chill, very approachable and very people friendly. And I love that because I, I'm not much of like an endurance athlete in the sense of going really fast through areas. I, I love to just explore, take my time, take pictures, stop and talk to people. Uh, if I see something interesting, I want to have time to go check it out. Uh, but also if you want to get to camp really fast, you can do that too. So anyway, eight weeks, that's what we found works really well for us. Um, and now comes like, what do we do? What are the adventures we do? I've already said paddling works really well for us because one, we just all have a lot of boats. So if, if anyone has equipment uh, or needs equipment, somebody's got something. So we pack all our own stuff. So we have boats. I usually take a paddle board. I like being able to stand up on the water and look down in the water. I like that big flat surface to kind of lay on or sit on or stand on. And so I carry all my stuff, my tent, my sleeping bag, um, snacks, clothes, lights, all that, water on my board, and everybody does that. And we have kayaks, we have canoes, and we have paddle boards. Um, and that's, yeah, that's pretty much it. We've had rafts and inner tubes and stuff, and that just hasn't worked out as well. Um, so everybody brings their own boat. Uh, if, if not, we've got tons, tons of us have like one or two extra kayaks. I've got an extra little kayak. I got a, a yard sale for like 50 bucks. It works great. My brother's usually on it. Um, and so we never want equipment to be a reason someone can't go. So anyone, any one of us is willing to chip in an extra tent or sleeping bag for someone who might not have that piece. And then when it comes to food, we actually handle that in a totally different way. We actually do group meals and this is not, these are not guided experiences. This is just friends of friends. We don't advertise these trips. It's really just organically grown to upwards of 40 people on these trips. I mean, we're averaging averaging probably 20, low 20s, but we've, we're getting up in the mid-30s on some of these trips, which is crazy, that amount of people to to move in and out of. And it's, it's logistically can be very challenging, but we do group trips. And so the, the formula, the time is plan on being gone Friday night to Sunday afternoon. We try to finish around noon on Sunday so people can get home before the weekend. But really, once work is over at Friday night, I'd say about half the people planning on going will go ahead and go 
to the destination to camp that night and to just get a head start on the planning the next day. And so there's there's usually around half the people that go up the night before to camp. The other half arrive Saturday morning early, which is totally fine too. You know, we understand you might have things to do and you don't really miss a ton other than the camping the night before. Um, so Friday night, you go up, uh, we're gone for, as, as that, you know, you, you can do the math. Our trips are no longer 24 hours or even 30 hours. They're much closer to 48 hours. And for every eight weeks, uh, that's not too terrible on our families. Um, just because they, they know these, these trips are just absolutely incredible. And as I'll tell you in a little bit, we're starting to incorporate family a lot more in these trips so that we're not even apart from them. They're with us on these, having these great experiences, which has been such a cool kind of evolution of these trips. So, so yeah, gosh, I really don't feel like this is a one string, you know, this feels like just so random. I'm jumping all over the place. So I'm trying to kind of have a cohesive, you know, line of thought through all this. So the timing, Determine what timing works for you. For us, the eight-week interval works really well. We actually thought about quarterly at first because that makes a lot more sense. There's a lot of things on, that are on a quarterly basis, the seasons, for instance, finances, a lot of things. Um, that felt a little too infrequent. However, monthly felt too frequent. Like That just felt like too much for the amount of work these trips are. So we found that every two months is kind of a nice balance to this because I'm like four of these a year they're they're not that much planning that's not that much to pull off uh so I don't know a qu every quarter just felt like ah oh, we could do it more than that so these you like doing six a year feels really really solid it's a great number of adventures it's a a lot of places to explore it to this level um, but also isn't you know every month where we just every fourth weekend we're planning on this uh, so that, that helps tremendously. So now that we have like that, that part of the formula figured out, food was another big thing. So we found that group meals work really well. And so Friday night, you're on your own Saturday morning, you're on your own and even lunch, you're on your own. We really don't do our first group meal until Saturday night for dinner where we paddled all day. We get to where we're camping and we get the meal out and someone's in charge of cooking. That's what worked really well. Don't leave everybody in charge of a little piece makes somebody in charge of food. Like they're in charge of getting the food, cooking the food or recruiting somebody to help them cook the food and also breakfast on Sunday. We, so that's the times we chill is Saturday night and Sunday morning. And then um, how we structure the trips, we usually paddle around 20 to 25 miles. And with most of those miles coming on Saturday, because we camp Friday night, we can wake up and basically spend the whole day Saturday paddling. And we try to knock out, you know, roughly 12 to 15 miles. 15 is a little long, 10 is on the little lower side. So so around 12 to 13 has, has been a really good uh, amount to aim for. And then you leave around 8 to 10 for Sunday, uh, usually closer, gosh, to 6, honestly, um, 6 or 7 miles. And that seems to be a good amount of time to have breakfast but also uh, get to your vehicle uh, around 12, 1, 2, which gives people a few hours to get home before dinner. And where we're doing these trips is Central Florida. So everything, you know, basically Lake Okeechobee, which is kind of on just beginning of South Florida, all the way up to Gainesville, all the way to North Florida. So we, and we have people come to these things from out of state, Alabama, Georgia. Um, but we try to make it, you know, no more than a three hour drive for our regulars and usually averages around two. And, and that seems to be really working for us because there is literally in that window, probably 5,000 miles of river and lake to paddle. So we could basically never run out of things. And also, you know, we've done some trips twice, um, not officially through this, this, but we've like had smaller groups that have gone and done shorter trips in the same places. And it's, you know, any, anybody that's explored the same place twice understands that it can be a totally different experience the second time around, especially if you haven't done it in a few years. So, so far we've got the time frame, kind of our basic plan that we do. Um, and then I, I did mention vehicles. That's the other big thing that's really challenging besides food. 
for this uh, is vehicles. And before I jump into vehicles, I do want to mention about the cook. Whoever commits to cooking for the trip, usually it's one person kind of in charge and they can you know recruit people as needed. We also give them money to buy food. And how we do that is we we actually do ask people to donate $10 to the trip. It's usually 10 to $20. That depends on if the group campsite is a permit or not, or if it's just free primitive camping, which there is a lot of actually. Um, but even when it's a group site, it's like maybe 30 to 40 bucks, $50 at the most. But when you split that between 20 people, you know, everybody's paying five bucks. And usually the person in charge of food spends around, gosh, a hundred dollars, uh, in food. And when you split that between 20, 30 people, again, people are spending like four or five bucks. So all that together, it's like a 10, it's really only costs us $10 to make that happen. And if everybody's willing to contribute that, pays for what we need to. And and really what a lot of people only end up paying to come on these trips is the $10 and whatever gas it took to get there. And for me and for these experiences we're having, like true adventures, uh, that's a pretty dang good deal. And so now let's talk about vehicles because planning, the, the biggest challenge with planning is always the shuttling of vehicles. So as you can imagine, we don't do loops. Like we're not paddling out, then coming back somewhere. We're paddling from point A to point B with camping, usually some sort of halfway point there. And so that's always the biggest challenge. Like when what we figured out is just do all that before, do the hard part first. Like once everybody gets to the start line, you you basically, before you even do that, you've asked whoever's going on the trip Hey, who has a big vehicle? Who has a trailer? Y'all, th- you know, this group, this group of three or four meet us at the finish line, whether that's at a park or someone's house or something. You're going to meet us there. And then you have recruited someone else to be your shuttle from the finish to the start. So say I'm kind of in start- charge of getting the the group started and everybody getting in the water. Well, someone else would be in charge of making sure they have enough vehicles at the end so that when we finish, we have enough room for all the boats to be put on trailers or in the back of trucks or on top of minivans, and then enough seats for everybody on the trip to be shuttled back to the start. So before the trip starts, we make sure there's enough vehicles at the end, and we make sure that someone has gone to get those people who are leaving their vehicles at the end to shuttle them to the start. And here's another key point. Before the people who are leaving their vehicles at the end drop their vehicles off, they have already gone to the start, dropped their stuff off so that when they leave their vehicles at the end, they don't have to haul all their stuff back to the start. So, um, you know, as long as there's a handful of people willing to commit to that part of it, that is a huge time saver. That's obviously how we make this work. And then everybody that leaves their vehicles at the start uh, will get shuttled at the end back to them. And so, that's the biggest challenge because you got to figure somewhere out that, you know, is okay with leaving five to eight vehicles parked at the end and also parked at the beginning. Uh, so public boat ramps, places that allow you park overnight, places that you've worked out. And, and it's just a lot of phone calls. You know, the, that's how we do it is I, we figure out where we're going to go. We figure out where we can start this last trip. For example, the place that we thought we could start we couldn't. It was a retirement community. They had what we thought was like a public boat ramp and a big parking lot. It was actually a perfect place, but they would not budge. They were like, no, you can't do that. I explained to them what we do. Um, I explained that we have, you know, a nickname, the Swamp Drifters. And they were like, no, absolutely not. So we had to start our trip four miles longer. And that was almost straight across a pretty big lake. And uh, we were like, you know what, that's really risky, but we're going to do it only it's risky in the sense that weather, it could be bad weather, but we had a backup plan just in case, but we monitored the wind a couple of days before and it looked pretty calm. It actually looked in our favor and we went for it and it was, it was incredible. And it added a little more paddling to the day. It added, you know, had some experience to the day and some miles, some beautiful miles. So all in all, it was, uh, it was gosh, made the trip better. And so that's the kind of stuff that you might be having. And so, Something else I want to cover is who goes on these trips. 
uh, because you just can't let anybody go. Like you, unfortunately, you gotta kind of feel folks out to make sure they understand what they're getting into. They're not going to be, you know, any emergencies. And again, these are just friends of friends. These are not guided trips. We're just friends going out in the woods and having a good time. And that's the understanding. Like we're not an organization. We're not, even though you pay a little bit, um, it is really just to go towards food costs. And, you know, we're all just booking campsites like anybody would. We're not, we're not experts on anything. There are laws you have to follow. Like everybody has to have a life jacket on their vessel one per person. Everybody has to, you know, have lights when it's dark. And we are getting more and more organized in that sense. But, uh, you know, of the 25, 30 people that end up going, I'd say roughly 10 to 12 are regulars, meaning they're on like every trip. And the others are kind of those that fluctuate. And that's the nice thing. We have people that go on every trip. I haven't missed one yet. We have others that go on every other trip or go once a year or go, uh, you know, twice a year. Like my, I, I try to get my dad to go on every one of them. He's like every third trip or so he's like, all right, I'll go. And it's always just such a great time. And my brothers, for instance, they go on every single trip. I think I've only missed one. And what's cool about it is it gives my friends, myself and these new friends that I've met through these experiences, basically a guaranteed time we're going to get together and hang out. If it wasn't for these trips, I wouldn't see these people probably for a year or more at a time. Like I, we just wouldn't cross paths. They live three hours away. They're not necessarily family. They're, I'm, so I'm not going to see them at the holidays. So this is like the only time I get to see some of my best friends. And if you get to see your best friend six times a year, I consider that pretty lucky because when I've lived away from my friends, I was lucky to see them once a year, maybe twice a year if it was a really good year. So this commitment has, one, forced us to get together, forced us to have adventure that we, by the way, never regret doing, and three, gets others involved in this world and to see this side of a place they live and you know florida is not necessarily known for this kind of stuff to the masses it's very well known to the people who who do these things but once you get a few people in that didn't realize all this was here oh my gosh you you see a fire lit in them one of the guys that goes i mean he's like he's told me straight up like i had no idea any of this was in my backyard like literally no clue and i've lived here my whole life and now it's like an obsession he's just like this is like a rebirth almost like i know that sounds dramatic but that's what adventure does for people that's what nature does for people you get someone who's never walked out of a gated community or not been on their way to a shopping plaza at any point in their life and went out in nature for being in the sake of being out in nature, that is a life-changing experience for that person. And that is beyond eye-opening. That is soul-opening. And that's the kind of experience I'm seeing firsthand with these people. Like I said, friends of friends that come on these trips. And it, it is it is one of the coolest things I've ever been a part of. And it's happening very organically. I'm not sure where it's going to go, but it is so awesome to, one, be able to get out there myself. Because like I said, when you host a show about, I like this, is, I, it's midnight right now. And this is what I'm doing. And this is a lot of my nights. And I spend every weekend working on this podcast. So that is time that I could be doing stuff, but I'm not. So one, it gets me out there. Two, it allows me to see the people I love in my life. And then three, it provides the opportunity and infrastructure for others to kind of test the water, try this out. This is, like I said, not the biggest adventures, but all these elements to it make it so special. And I'm going to go into detail about the most recent one because it was even, it was special on a whole new level. And I'm trying to see if there's any other parts of the planning or anything, how we do this. And so I encourage you, you know, if, if you're out there and you're like, what can I do? May, maybe your schedule is once a week. Maybe your schedule is once a year, like it is with Frazier. Uh, maybe it's once a quarter. Like find a formula that works for you that you can do forever. 
uh, or do consistently and stick to that. There are definitely these trips where I look at my wife the day before, I've got a million things to get done with at work, and I'm having to cram because I won't be, you know, I'm, I'm pretty tired on the Mondays we get back, and I'm just like, you know, I, I don't know if I should go. I don't know if I, and she is always like, no, you have to go. You cannot, you will, there will, and she told me this, and I, I really appreciate it, Emily, there will always be a reason not to do this if you allow yourself to think that way. There will always be a reason not to go on an adventure. You're missing somebody's birthday or, you know, money's tight or whatever. I mean, there's definitely legitimate reasons not to do that and disrupt your life. But even when everything says, yes, you should, you've been planning on this and thinking about it for years, there will always be a reason not to go. There was There will always be someone in your life that is like, I don't know if you should do that. I remember for me, in my early adventures, it was my grandfather. Uh, he was always like, I don't think you should do this. Um, but I had to zoom out, and I, I highly respect my grandfather, and I love him to death. Um, Pinky, he's passed away now. Uh, bless his heart. Rest rest his soul. Uh, but we, na- we named our son after him. Not Pinky. His nickname was Pinky. His real name's Leon. So my son is not named Pinky. We do call him Little Pinky, though, Little Pink. And uh, anyway, he if that it was up to, if it was up to him, I'd spend my whole life hiding under the covers because that was just his like grandfatherly protection, you know, anxiety over us as his grandkids. So I had to take that into consideration with my adventures. That like, you know, if if I if I paid attention to everything he wanted me to do, I, I wouldn't do anything. So you got to make sure that, you know, the people in your life are are in line. What one of the guys on this last trip told me that, you know, and he he's in his 50s. He's in his 50s. And he tells me he goes every time I do one of these trips, my dad tells me how stupid they are, how non-serving to anything in my life they are, how trying to get out in nature and spend time with nature is a dumb idea. It's a waste of time. And I'm sitting there with my jaw dropped thinking, like, your dad tells you this? And he's like, yeah, he, he has no connection to nature, no, no connection to any of this world and thinks it's a huge waste of time. Like, why? Like we have evolved beyond that as humans. Why would you go back to that? And that blows my mind. So even for these weekend trips, there might be someone in your life telling you not to. Well, um, we're trying to provide these opportunities for people to break out of those chains, basically, and ourselves included. So, um, yeah, this is the formula that works for us. And let me let me tell you about this most recent trip right now. And if you're still listening, you know, bless your heart, because I, this feels like it has been not even close to organized uh, uh, thoughts and, and, and speech and whatnot. I feel like I'm just rambling. But I'll tell you about this quick trip because our most recent trip, we actually took a big step, a leap of faith, I guess you could say. We invited, we, we took our kids and we knew at some point, a lot of us that go are guys, it's a lot of guys, friends of guys, uh, but now spouses are going and girlfriends and partners of all sorts and family is basically going. And I was a little worried, like we were worried, like, is that going to change the dynamic that we've built? Because when it's all dudes and, you know, we, you know, there is, you know, we do indulge in things out there and nothing crazy or illegal or anything, but it's like, it's a lot of masculine energy. I'm not going to lie. We're like eating a hog that one of us killed the week before hunting. And we're just like grilling it on the fire. Everyone's shirt. It's, it's very rugged too. It's been filthy in some of these trips. And, um, but it's, it's really special. Like it's, it's awesome. We introduced on this last trip families. Like we just brought our families, anybody that wanted to go. And we had like 15 kids running around at camp. And not all of us are parents. There's a good half of us that aren't parents. So we don't, you know, they don't have that perspective yet. And so I was a little anxious. One, are our kid are our kids going to want to do this? My son that I took is four years old. I didn't know if he was going to want to do this. Uh, but he said he did. Uh we had and he was not the youngest. We had a three-year-old out there. And I'm just going to say, it went incredible. There were a few meltdowns. There were times that they were like, okay, it's hot, or I'm tired, or how long is this going to take? But 
if I had to give it a score out of a hundred, it was like ninety seven point five. I mean, it was about as good as I could hope for. And one thing I want to touch on is, you know, I, I never want to force my kids to be adventurous or force my kids to be outdoorsy, but I want to make sure they have enough exposure to it that they can make that decision on their own. But they are definitely aware of the joy and the fun and, and the opportunities that are out there. Uh, but if my son grows up and never wants to go outside, like one, you know, I, I think it is, you know, every human needs to connect with nature on some level. Some never get the chance to, which is sad. But, you know, if he's just not interested in this stuff, that's totally fine by me because I'm going to know that I, I introduce it to him. And and I'll say this, the first time I went camping with him, the very first time was a complete failure. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that helped make this show possible. Hey folks, we're getting ready to talk about kids uh, going on adventures. And if your student or child is ready for a pretty big adventure, uh, our friend Greg Morrissey, who is recently on the show talking about guiding students on a recent Source to See Hudson River paddle last year, his organization, Mountain Goat Movement, who is dedicated to providing transformative uh, adventures for students and adults alike, uh, while connecting them to inspiring ex explorers, conservationists, athletes, and storytellers. They do a ton of trips a year all throughout the world, all throughout the Northeast where they're based in, in New Jersey. Um, they are offering 10% off a trip to Kilimanjaro in June just for Adventure Sports Podcast listeners. You can learn more at mountaingoatmovement.com slash choose your adventure. Just tell Greg you're interested and that you heard about it on the Adventure Sports Podcast and he'll he'll get you 10% off. But they do trips all over the world. They've got an Antarctica trip, a surf and kayak trip coming up in Puerto Rico, hikes all throughout the Northeast. I mean, it's incredible what uh, Greg is able to do. So if you're interested, go check it out. Mountain Goat Movement. And just let Greg know you heard about it from Mason on the Adventure Sports Podcast. Thank you. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. I went with my dad. This was a couple years ago. He was th about just turned three years old. And I was like, you know what? We're going to go camping. We're going to go with Grandpa. And we're going to go to the campsite, the campground I grew up going to. It's just going to be me and him and Grandpa out there. And he has his camper, and I'll have my tent, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll ease into it. And we had the best day. We were fishing, and there were other kids there. It was fantastic. Well, at night, when we went to go get in the tent, my son said, oh, heck no. I ain't getting in that tent. I mean, you could tell. He's like, we're crawling in that little cave right there, zipping it up, and sleeping in that thing? And Mama's not here? And we're out in the woods? Oh, he he started wailing and I was like, okay, you know, stay calm. It's going to be all right. Backup plan is to go into my dad's camper and that, you know, there's beds in there and you know, it's indoors. So he, maybe that's easier for him. So he's freaking out. I'm laying there for like half an hour trying to get him to stop. He, he is not having it. And there's other people at this campground. So I was conscious that he's literally screaming at the top of his lungs. It's 9:30 at night and people are probably trying to sleep or even if they're not trying to sleep they're they're trying to enjoy some peace and quiet well he kept screaming we get up we get in the camper and uh he continues screaming <laughs> and louder and it did not calm down to the point that I got so frustrated I'm like you know forget this we're going home and we were 2 hours from home so it was not like you know 20 minutes and we're in bed it was going to be a commitment, and I had, had tried for hours to get him to sleep. And so, you know, it's probably 1130 at this point, and I just said, Dad, screw this. I'm going home. I'm taking my son. And like, we're just going to go. And he's like, are you sure? Like, this, you know, we're good. we can figure it out. And I was so mad. Um, not at him. I just, you know, it was – I was exhausted. Just it was a long day. And so we got in the truck. He falls asleep on the ride home, of course, and – uh I'm like, all right, maybe camping isn't for us. And of course, that's our first time trying. I spoke way too soon. And we tried again, you know, like six months later. I gave it some time. And this time, what I did different was I, I brought mom. 
but we also had a newborn at the time. Not a newborn, but like a six month old. And so we were like, all right, let's let's see if we can take the whole family. And so we went somewhere close to home. We had a big tent that I borrowed from my dad and put the crib in there, uh, laid out a pallet, made it very fun, made it very enjoyable, and made sure mom was there. And that made all the difference. That's that kind of experience for him was so much more positive. Uh, the baby slept really well, and we all camped. I, I, I was it, it was awesome. He woke up and he was like, "I love camping. That was so fun." And I'll be honest, after that, he just loved it. So a few months after that, me and him had the opportunity to go again, just us, and it worked. And he just thought it was the best. And we ended up doing three nights of camping. And mom came out that second night, so it was like, I don't know, it, like if if your kids or you're apprehensive about that, what I wish I would have done first was just try camping in the yard or try camping in the living room, and just kind of working up to that. So, all that to say, I was a little worried that all the kids were gonna, you know, just not really love this experience because I remember as a kid going over to a sleepover at a friend's house. It might have been the first time I did this. And I was like, I can't go to sleep here. And I called my, I had to call my mom and get her to come home or get her to pick me up. And maybe they should have forced me to just figure it out because I don't, I can't remember how I was old enough to remember it and uh, old enough to call her on the phone. I don't think my four year old knows my phone number um, and could call me or anything. But so all that to say, I was a little worried, but I did have a backup plan. So the idea was we're going to start this trip. You know, four or five hours in, we're going to cross a highway. My mom lived really close by. And if it was bad and they weren't feeling it, there were at least two places to bail and to call her to come pick him up. Um, And all the parents, I'm like, just have backup plans in case they are just absolutely not doing this. Make sure, you know, you have a plan. There's going to be a couple places that we can get out and figure something out for everybody. Because I didn't want us to do one of those trips where it's like, the only places to bail are the very beginning or the very end because we do trips like that. Um, so this one was great to try this. Uh, a lot of us got there on Friday night. And so the kids got to like meet each other and hang out and hang out by the campfire and test out one night of camping. And there were a few meltdowns right when we got there. So I was a little worried and also worried for the folks that didn't have kids. Like what is this experience going to be like for them? Um, but everyone did an absolutely fantastic job. The kids loved it. I was in a canoe with my good friend Jordan and his daughter and it was it might have been the one of the most incredible experiences of my life, which sounds dramatic, but when you're showing that many basically new people in this world the joys of adventure and we we stargazed at night, we saw owls, we were looking through binoculars and a telescope. Uh, we saw gators and we saw tons of fish and tons of wildlife and birds and it rained and we went through a storm together. It was just, it was so epic and so quaint at the same time and so peaceful and so wonderful. And what was cool is the campsite that we stayed at, you could actually drive to. So uh, we had families meet us, like spouses and other kids came that night for for dinner and one of us, you know, Nick, shout out to Nick for cooking dinner. He made brats and gumbo. And my mom, who lives close by, brought a bunch of macaroni and some pies. And it was she was basically the adopted grandmother for the evening for all the kids. And it was just fantastic. And then actually one of our listeners, Jacob Myers, uh, came out. He was down from Montana for a funeral and was messaging me and decided to come by. And he got to tell stories about coming back uh, from Antarctica, like a month earlier, which was so cool. So go go listen. To, I replayed his episode, his original episode, a couple weeks ago. Go listen to that, and it was amazing. So all this to say, I know this has been a long, almost an hour of talking. All this to say, what has been the most rewarding adventures in my life recently have been these very short, in comparison to our guests, weekend adventures. But the itch that they're scratching for me is it's frequent. They're really incredible, off-the-beaten-path adventures. They're one of one. Other, they're, we are 
very often the only people even out there. And two, the only people that have put these plans together that I can find, I know we're not the only ones that have ever done this stuff, but like there's just not guidebooks out there for what we're doing for most of the trip. Some of them are more traditional routes. This next one we're doing is, uh, but a lot of them is just like, hey, look at that squiggly line between these two lakes. Let's go check it out. We do a little scout. And one of the other great joys about it, it's inspiring adventures and other. We're already seeing the people that have gone, which is well over 100 people at this point, just different individuals coming to, like meeting together on the weekends that we're not having these trips to go hiking. Some of them have planned Appalachian Trail uh, backpacking trips and have done them. Some are planning you know, bike trips together. Some are planning just, you know, day paddles together or morning group runs. And and so it's been so cool to see how it has challenged everybody to go out and adventure more. And it has been such a rewarding experience. Is it the biggest thing ever as far as like a movement? No. Is it an actual organization? No. But as your host of this show and as someone who's talked to hundreds of incredible adventures um this little formula that we have going on really scratches the itch and really is fulfilling on so many levels and in a way has been maybe one of the coolest projects i've ever been able to be a part of and i really feel we're just getting started and what's also cool is like so much of my family goes cousins and brothers and my parents uh now my kids and it is just like it is my favorite thing to do in the whole wide world at this point and it's nothing crazy it's nothing that takes a phd it's nothing that takes you know a million dollars to do it's not starting a brand it's not you know starting a podcast even it's just getting folks together in a really achievable way and having a great experience and i and i couldn't be happier for it and and it, and as someone who's seen and done some pretty big adventures. This is, I would, this would rival any experience on the sense of all the, when you combine all the benefits of it, it is awesome. It is so perfect for the place in life I am. Do I still want to do big trips? Yes. In fact, I went, I backpacked for a week in Yosemite last year. Um, I planned this Lake Okeechobee paddle, uh, not earlier this year, it was actually the last day of 2023, but you know, just over a month ago, month and a half ago. So I'm still doing my own adventures, but I'm, these are the ones that kind of all, this is the backbone of everything else that's happening right now. And uh, it's my way of expressing the values and the lessons I pick up from guests on this show and just try to continue to get this message out to the world and get real experiences uh, people on real experiences. So I encourage you to find your formula. Uh, you know, I, I compare it to honey and honeycomb. You you need the honeycomb to have the honey, the sweetness of the honey that is adventure. You need the comb, the structure, the, 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 the thing that builds the capacity for the honey to be put in and to be made in. And so these memories, these joys, these wonderful things are the honey of life to me. But that infrastructure is that formula. Every eight weeks, within two hours of home, keep it super cheap. Make sure you have somewhere to park. (laughs) Make sure you have somewhere legal, by the way, to camp. And start inviting people. And if you're all alone when you start, that's okay. Keep inviting people. And if you get a bunch of people and then the next trip no one shows up, that's okay. Keep going. Keep inviting people. Because if you're doing this, you know, it's going to ebb and flow. Uh, there's going to be people that you resonate. And, and, and I will say this too to close it out. I invite people all the time. One of our most frequent, someone that's come ever since I told them about this is my buddy Kurt. We've become really good friends I met him at the park one day. We both had our kids there. I was talking to him. He was new to the area. I just straight up invited him. I said, hey, man, next weekend we're doing a pal trip. You want to go? I, I I sense a good vibe from you. Like, you seem cool. And he was like, yeah, I'll be there. I'm like, all right, meet me at my house Friday. We exchanged numbers. He's like, I got a board. I'll bring it. He was there. 
and he's gone on every ship ever since. <laughs> and he's he's like we call him Uncle Kurt now. Like he's like part of the family. It's pretty wild. But I'm always like reaching out to new folks who might be interested. Or so if you're ever in Florida uh, and it ever is around this time, please reach out to me. And if you're cool, you know we're we're not looking we're not looking for experts in any field. We're we're just looking for people who enjoy being outside together, enjoy seeing nature, and enjoy adventure. Um, and so do that where you are, join something that might be going on that you know of and commit to it. It's, it's, it's really what has taken life to another level. Like it's been awesome. So anyway, I'm going to close this before we hit an hour, uh, of me rambling. I hope it was helpful. And I really want to give a shout out to Fraser. Fraser's, uh, yeah, I think they're coming up on their 19th. I think they're going to have one more that's year 20. We'll see what happens to their big trip. But this all started with that conversation and uh, making that commitment with me and my two other friends saying every eight weeks we're going to force ourselves to do something together because we don't know when we're going to be this close in proximity ever again. So, all right, I encourage y'all. I hope you enjoyed this. We'll be back on Monday with a brand new episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast. All right, get out there and have some fun. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.